0: This is TV Take, Variety's television podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. Today we talk with Ken Jeong, whose new stand-up special premieres February 14th on Netflix. Later, TV critics Daniel Daddario and Caroline Framke preview the Showtime talker Jesus and Mero and the upcoming Academy Awards telecast. Then reporter Joe Otterson will recap the second half of the TCA Winter Press Tour. Stay tuned. Ken Jeong, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, so you have your first Netflix special coming up. Uh, could you please say the title because i would I would rather not um,
1: Yes, it's called Ken Jung You Complete Me Ho," and that is named after uh, one of my one of my jokes I do in my act, and it is a play on my wife 's last name, which is ho and it was actually her suggestion for that title, so Netflix. Uh, wanted a, a catchier title than what I initially pitched, and then um, Tran, my wife, was like, "How about you complete me, hoe?" And we we're both laughing um, and, uh, hysterically. And then uh, we pitched, and I pitched it to Netflix, and they loved it. So, uh, in many ways, it's uh, not only the, the act and the title is kind of inspired by my wife, you know, in so many ways.
0: And a lot of the act is you telling stories, like not
1: just about your career, but you know, your relationship with your wife,
0: some of the things that you've been through together. Yeah.
1: It, it, I, like I look at it as it's it's almost like a, a one man show, um, you know, really touching upon you know my family and my wife um, with a bunch of dick jokes. Mm-hmm. It really is just it really is just having that sincerity of. But the, the, it was very important that the, the theme, you know, I, I actually put thought into it was to really give in an arc, talk about my life, make it autobiographical, and not. And not just do jokey joke premises and make that. That was a narrative I had when I was um, when I was working on the hour. Is every every bit has to have a kernel of truth, you know, mm. and it has to has to it has to be real. And that was kind of the was the um, pervasive theme. And and then and I actually wrote really um, kind of the end of that special. I wrote that first because I kind of knew pretty immediately where where um where I wanted to go with that and um and it, and it was it, you know I, and and I took a while I took my time just trying to do the jokes that undercut it but but to me I learned a lot from my own show Dr. Ken where where I really I was just trying to break story break premises and and I kind of applied that to to this and it was kind of filling up the void where kind of Dr. Ken left off for me cuz I really you know, more than having my own show with my, my namesake on it. It was like, I, I love the writing of it. Cause that was the first time I've ever written, you know, on anything. So, and, in and, and many, and standup really is a writer's medium. And so I think people will be kind of surprised that I'm not doing, not doing a lot of singing or maybe very limited dancing, you know? <laughs> so it's not like what you see on me on a talk show or, right. or is I'm not recreating scenes from the hangover where I'm, you know, I'm jumping out of a curtain naked or something. Right. You know, it it, it really is I wanted this to be really a straight stand up monologue. And um for an hour, you know, I wanted to wanted to see if I could do it. So um so that was really and, and the only way to do that is really to tell the truth. And
0: yeah. there's some real uh earnest moments in there, I think, yeah. particularly toward the end. And um you know, did you have was that intentional and were you worried about it about you just don't see that in stand up a lot, yeah, the kind of thing that you're doing there in the last twenty minutes yeah right? it,
1: i yeah, I was you know, I think um it, I credit goes to John Chu, who directed my stand up special, and he was his he was like, you gotta bring Tran in the audience, and I actually was not going to because i she really doesn't come to a lot of my shows, it, like she'll come to a few of them. A few a few of the nicer, nicer ones, like the Sydney Opera House she'll go to. she ain't gonna go to a funny bone but but uh but um it but it was it was John's idea, like you gotta get Tran there, and I was like, are you sure he goes yeah i want, I have a vision where i'm just, I'm gonna cut away to her and um and I was like, you know, and I trusted him obviously from crazy Rich Asians and uh and we' become really good friends and uh and he had that. That vision of the entrance, exit, and having Tran involved, that was, uh, you know, because a lot of people ask, what what do directors bring to the table, you know, mm-hmm. with the stand special, and and I thought that was his, by far his best note that really resonated with me that uh, I didn't bring, was having Tran in, uh, in the reaction shots, where I talk about my wife being a breast cancer survivor, still is, cancer-free after 10 years, and how that dovetailed into um, me getting the part of Mr. Chow in the Hangover, and 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 it was um kind of an intricate weave because you want to i don't want it to it it is it is um it's heartfelt and sentimental but uh, this is what I learned from Dr. Ken trying to undercut that with a with a well-placed joke for pace you know so it so I'm not just being so you're not just kind of going on and on and sometimes when you when you tell the truth and without a laugh, it it to the viewer, to the listener, it can feel like it could go on forever. And I didn't want that. I wanted that's the great thing about comedy. Comedy is about pace at the end of the day. So that that the last fifteen minutes or so I'm 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 kind of especially personally proud of because I had never done that before in my stand up and I had, you know, um and I really wanted to do jokes for pace. You know, that's all it was. They were they were funny enough to get the crowd to have a laugh, and so in my head, okay, they're paying attention. I can go on to my next, you know, uh, kind of beat of that story. How did you get John involved? Um, I asked him. I I asked him. <laughs> I I asked after uh, the beginning of the year, way before Crazy Rich Asians came out. I, yeah, I, when I the time I asked him, where I had a private screening of the movie, early in the spring. My wife and I were there, mm-hmm. and. Um, and he was asking what I was up to and I just started going back and doing stand up for a couple of months and I said, well, I'm doing a lot of stand up and uh, he goes, Really I wanna see it. And then um and uh and and then I actually brought it up there. I said, Dude, I would love for you to direct it if you have the time. And he goes he goes, Yeah, I'd love to. I'll see you. I'll be i bu- I'll be busy and he came to my show the next week. I was performing at the Ice House in Pasadena where I shot the special and he loved it and um And he was in, so that was like in April. You know, he was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And then, and I, and in show business, every things happen, things change on a dime. People commit, and it's okay if they can't keep that verbal commitment. As soon as Crazy Rich Asians took off in August, and I was shooting my special in September, and there was not much of a window, and uh, for him to direct the special, I gave him, you know. As many, you know, I told him, "Hey, brother, the movie is unexpectedly taking off commercially, and now because that generates more press, and you go to more countries, it's great for the movie, you know." And and me being a part of the movie, even a couple of weeks before I shot my special, I was in London promoting Crazy Rich Asians, so I was on that same train, you know, peripherally that John was, and I was like, "Look, man, if you look, it's getting close to the wire. Please, no worries. That we can, you know, I can find someone else to direct it." And he was like, "No, I'll do it." And, you know, you know, here's a guy who is a, you know, uh, successful Hollywood director now and who is, you know, a best celebrity in his own right. And he's not a flake. I mean, I can't <laughs> believe it. He has every reason. I don't know. And, and, and if I was in his position, I probably would not have directed it because I would have been like, I don't know. I, I just got to – and literally he was moving on to another – to two other projects, like literally the day after I shot. Oh, mine. wow. So – he just made it happen, and he did not have to. And I, and as his friend, I was like, you don't have – you know, I really meant it. And, you know, it's just a testament to um, John Chu as a person. And, and, yes, it made the special even that much more meaningful for me, obviously, yeah. You, as
0: you said, you shot it at the Ice House. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think we're all used to seeing, you know, these sort of uh, half-hour – we're used to seeing clubs on TV, but I couldn't think of the last time I saw a special in a club. Why did you want to do that?
1: Because if you're not – only a select few are routinely doing theaters, you know. And, and I I was watching a lot of Netflix specials, not just Netflix. I mean you talk about HBO, just all the specials. And you, for the look, it it's an amazing thing to – you can catapult someone to fame if they're performing, you know, in a big venue. And I, I looked at myself in an honest moment, and I was like, well, you know, I'm already famous. So I don't need a bigger venue to people will know who I am. And so why don't you invert it and but I'm also not Seinfeld famous. So Seinfeld also did his in the club, but his was more of a return really mm-hmm. an amazing documentary, like return to Return to Roots, you know. Yeah. But mine was kind of splitting that difference, you know. I'm a known known entity to some and people at least know my face. So do it in a club that is real and that where my wife first saw me do comedy. And I you know just to keep everything real mm-hmm. that was really the main thing was and and I had my first my first venue back doing an hour in February of last year was at the ice house so i would so anytime I was working out new material, I would go on the road, try some stuff at uh, some casinos or other clubs, and then go back to the ice house, knowing in my head I would film it there, and then just keep chipping away at that hour and um and the and I did think, and then, you know, along the way I was thinking of other venues, and, and, and there are some amazing theaters um, that are very intimate, and Dave Chappelle is amazing at, like, hit some of his Netflix specials are, they're right, it, they, they, he does an amazing job of having these big venues, and Chris Rock's special too, where... There's that little extension of the theater, which I love, where you see the faces, mm-hmm. and that. So I was actually toying with that idea too, but then I didn't want to be too derivative of Chappelle or Rock, you know, with that aesthetic. So I was like, you know what, just go with my gut, and um, and I, I give Netflix so much credit; they they just allow me so much freedom. You know, it, it, it's 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 an artist's blessing when you're. I'm, I'm telling Netflix, they're like, you know, I really want to do this in a club. Okay. I want to do it here in town. Okay. I want to do it there. You know, I'm so used to television when I'm like, okay, you know, give me the note back and then we'll debate this back and forth. And uh, I did this on Dr. Ken all the time. And then they're like, okay. I don't have an enemy. I don't, you know, you're going to let me do this? This is nerve wracking. You're going to let me do it exactly the way I want to do it? You know and it there there Netflix is i can't say enough great things about what they've done for stand up comedy they have really you know they have really brought back stand up comedy into 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 fashion and form
0: in the uh, in the special you talk about sort of what happened. When Doctor Ken got canceled, yeah. and then you moved on to Crazy Rich, like got Crazy Crazy rich yeah. Asians, like immediately afterwards, yeah. Um, can you talk about that transition? And then uh, yeah. it sounds like you came out of Crazy Rich Asians and went uh, went into um,
1: went into working on this act, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the timeline. And and um, to go even even deeper than that, um, that I couldn't really touch upon the act the in, in the act. Um, I just was talking to John recently over the weekend about it. Uh, when when you have a TV show being canceled or renewed, um, everything. Well, we're a bubble show, so we weren't. You know, so we didn't know until um, the the last date that you could possibly know of, of cancellation or renewal. And so that second week in May in 2017, we're, we're literally like, you know, we don't know. And um, I had there was talk of me doing Crazy Rich Asians with John, um, who actually had, coincidentally, I had met on the set of Dr. Ken like um, a year and a half, you know, a couple years uh, prior, and um, and right when Crazy Rich Asians was being greenlit, because I wanted to meet with him, because my wife and I love the book, I mean, big fans of the book, and I was like, um, at that time I was busy with my show, and I didn't know if uh, my schedule could work out, and and i didn't know, you know, um putting my producer's hat on too. I didn't know if i'd be right for the movie myself. So, um and uh and i and uh, but i really i a lot of people don't know the the passion i have for, you know, uh, a, a asian american filmmakers and having more people behind the scenes. More people behind the scenes in power will give people like me more jobs and and with better subject material. And um i I had produced some uh independent films uh like advantageous that um with jennifer pong uh, who is this extraordinarily gifted um asian american filmmaker and she gave me a small dramatic part in that movie and it went to sundance and it won a jury award so um so i've and and john knew about my passion for you know um other asian american filmmakers and i i just said you know um putting my own producer's hat on i mean if you think there's a role for me I'll do it sight unseen if there isn't um no worries I will promote it as if this was my movie because it really is it really is all of our movies it's, it's all of ours you know whether I'm in it or not I have I feel that deeply about it and I knew I'm a big fan of John's um directing uh, vision and I'm, I'm a big fan of Kevin Kwan's book and I knew that it would I knew it would be a hit I you know way you know and I never wavered in that I knew it would be a great movie I didn't know it would be this commercially, this huge, no one knew that. Yeah. Um, but I knew it would be huge. And um, so getting back to your original question, it was, um, I, I was, uh, I was being circled for the part of Papa go in, in the movie, but I didn't know if I could do it because if Dr. Ken had gotten renewed, I would have to go to upfronts the, the following Tuesday. You just, it's like, it's like American idol, like the, like cancellation renewal of shows. Hey, you win, you're going to New York for upfronts or you lose, you know, going back home, you know? So it, and I've been on both sides of the coin. Our community, we've been canceled 85 times. <laughs> you know? So I'm no stranger to renewal or cancellation. You know, it's just part, this is business, you know, just, it's just, it's nothing personal at all. It's just business. And that's what show business is about. You have to have a thick skin. And I've been on both sides of those coins. And, uh, so, um, every day, you know, um. There was just anxiety, understandably, on both. Like, well, a, will I get my my show renewed? And then John Chu and Nina Jacobson, the producer, is Ken going to do the movie? And like, because literally they can't move that date of that the the go dinner scene that you see that that sh- that was shot on the day of the upfronts. They couldn't oh, move wow. that date. Yeah. So I couldn't do both. Even if I like, so I, like my, I get my show canceled, but they can move. It was fixed, so they would have to get another actor involved. So. Everything was touch and go. And um and I think this is a good lesson just since this is an, an industry podcast. You know, in delicate situations like these, it behooves you to be honest and transparent in business and just to have your heart in the right place. No need to, you know, motherfuck anybody or one-up anybody. Just be honest. And just have your heart in the right place, and good things will happen and that's in business you know and and John and I you know became friends and so rather than go through my team or my people, you know John just checked me he goes, "Hey, have you heard?" I was like, "No, I'll let you know you heard every day we're just checking in because I also want out of friendship to him i I wanted him if if i got if I wasn't available, I want him to get I want him to get, you know, the right actor, you know, I was stressed out for him too. I wanted to make sure, I don't want to, you know, hijack, I don't want to put anyone's film hostage, you know, around on, anyone's schedule. That's happened to me on Dr. Ken and as a producer. So, you know, I was really empathizing with their situation. So I, I was like, I will do what I will just everything in real time. And then the moment we got canceled, um, profoundly disappointed and depressed, but at the same time had the presence of mind, you know. To text John, the show got canceled. And then he goes, great, you're on a plane to Kuala Lumpur to shoot Crazy Rich Asians. So literally the next morning, you know, I'm on a plane. You know, uh, yeah. And then, so while the upfronts are going on in New York, um, you know, and the demise of my show, I'm literally shooting a scene that would later be a memorable scene in the movie. And... And I remember that day, it was like I was telling Nina and John at lunch. And we knew the scene was was, was good. It was a great scene. And my first day working with Nora, Aquafina, and she was just bringing it harder than me. She was just amazing. And uh, and I just, and there was a great scene, and I was still so kind of reeling from Dr. Ken. I was like, the only thing I realized, yeah, this is, this is better than therapy. This is like <laughs> so therapeutic. Thank you for having me just because – I just wanted to be anywhere but, you know... I just wanted to be anywhere but L.A. or New York. Just just reading about the demise of my show. You know, an actor always acts. And so that was the best thing, you know, for me personally to do than to wallow in my, you know, there's nothing... You you can't get the show back. You can't dwell. So might as well work. And then flash forward a year later, it's like, you know, it's crazy rotations, you know? And then it it really is kind of... um, yeah, you just you know you know you know it, you, to have that presence of mind just to I, I I was numb and I was down and I was emotional but I was just like okay just channel it and then and John to his credit I mean um, we did the scenes a few times scripted but he let me and Nora and Constance go a lot of that was I mean a, uh, there are some of the great my favorite line in that scene which is actually seen from the book don't you know they're starving children in America which is such a great line because that describes the book and the characters in a nutshell you know it's good for story and comedy but all the other superficial touches that would that that I did in the movie that was John just let me go so all that was improvised and uh, and same with Nora so i was uh you know it, it was it was heaven i mean and and i and 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 um having my own show i'm like well you're not going to not going to use all of that, you know, because even on my own projects, if an actor improvises too much, you know, I'm more worried about time. Okay, we got to trim stuff. I get anxious sometimes, even if it's a great performance. So um, to John's credit, he kept it all in, literally all in. I was like, wow, because there was a world that really didn't need that scene as much. So um, so grateful to John on so many levels, you know. it's uh, there's, there's a lot of wonderful... You know stories behind the scenes, as well as you know the story that everyone knows. Yeah, uh,
0: coming out of that experience, what made
1: you want to get back to stand up? I think it was the void of that losing Dr. Ken. A, I lost a show that would that had my vision of representation on the screen. We had five Asian American series regulars. Um, it, it was a show that based on my life, so it was a personal journey. Um, and, and, and amazing performances and, and, and I, I had unprecedented, you know, access behind the scenes. Um, uh, and, and, on, and but on a selfish creative note, what I really missed the most, so, uh, just in my own set, was I was in the writer's room every day. I was a real writer on the show and I would, I would, I really miss writing, you know, um, I, even after Dr. Ken, I've been fortunate enough to do um, a lot of movies since then so and and even after dr ken ended i i you know i was fortunate enough to have a whole slate of movies and to keep myself occupied acting but i, I wasn't happy i wasn't i just felt like you know and and it wasn't just the ego of losing my own show i think it was just the writing of it and i just i really missed creating and then sometime in january it was about this time like um, I was talking to my wife. I was like, maybe i go back and do a stand-up. I hadn't done this in 10 years. I had done it for 15 years, at least prior to the hangover. So I got started out on my stand-up. And then um, it was really an afterthought at that point, stand-up. And then my manager flowed the idea. I was like, hey, you know, maybe get a Netflix deal and uh, do some casinos and see if you like it. And then he was like, but first you got to go. It was my manager's thing. And, and my wife's too. They were both like. Uh, just do a couple of sets first, because the traveling's brutal. Mm-hmm. Still is. You know, I'm going to a casino in a couple of days. It's a brutal. It's a brutal lifestyle. The, the travel stage is easy, but um, and you, you gotta really love it. And then I went back to I performed at the Laugh Factory end of January just for like 10 minutes, and I just used a couple of jokes from my old act, and I literally went through talk shows where. Uh, I was doing jokes, kind of, and and I literally used those as a as a platform. So I, I, did you go back and watch a video of your? I watched it's videos on YouTube? on YouTube of like me on Conan, me on Kimmel, um, yeah, old like Tonight Show, um, just anecdotes like hangover stories and then stuff, and then um, yeah, I just did ten minutes of that. Some of that actually has that was really used as a placeholder, but. Some of that actually, segments of it, did make it into, into the Netflix special. But, but then, then I was like – and it went over well at the Laugh Factory, um, it, and I was nervous. It was like yeah, I did 10 minutes, and then uh, and I just built – I literally just from there built on it. And then I, one, of my, uh, one of my good friends who's a stand-up comedian who um, I go back 15 years with, he would start recording my sets and give me feedback, and he would just say this – and he actually gave me a great pulse on today's – because stand up has changed from fifteen years ago when I did it. So um it it's become more one man showish and it's become um not laugh based but more story based and I'm like, well that's Eureka, that's like exactly what I want to do in my stand up. I don't want to go back and and you know and tell like who farted jokes or, you know, you know, wh- what's the deal with you know with my sock. I don't know. You know, what's the deal with socks? No 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 disrespect to comics who do that. But it was just like you know, I wanted to – I had – I feel like I had something something to say. If it wasn't meaningful, at least it was meaningful to me. So, um, so yeah, I just started from there, and I was like, well, this is great. I feel like today's current trend of comedy is more introspective and is is less joke-based, and I felt, felt like that's kind of what I want to do because uh, my old act had was, – was guitar-based. I, I did BET's comic view for three years in a row. I mean, I was a – you know, I was like – I mean, I, I had 15 tight minutes, man, that I knew I could get a huge laugh, and and uh, and I did not. And it, it's funny, when I went back to the ice house, the general manager at the time was like, Yeah, oh, man, this is great. Where's your guitar? You know, like, you know, so I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to do it. Really? Huh. I'm see how that goes. You know, so everyone like, my old friends are like, really, shy. no guitar. I was like, yeah, I'm really, I don't want to see if I can. If I can just maybe just talk, you know, and um, so that was a bit of a stand-up transition. That a lot of that people who already do stand-ups are known for one particular style of comedy. I wanted to change my whole style of stand-up, you know. That was you know th- that was personal to me. So, I don't know if I answered your question.
0: I, uh, whatever <laughs> you did was better than whatever <laughs> question I asked. Um, so you uh want to talk uh, quickly also about Masked Singer. Yeah. Um is that show as weird to make as it is to watch?
1: Yes. It's I I I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you less than a week after the premiere. Highest highest ratings of in, any show on Fox in 7 years. Highest unscripted ratings of any uh, of any unscripted show in 3 years.
0: Wow, they really drilled you on those uh on the ratings
1: uh Points, huh? Oh, let me look at the network executives. Who are telling me <laughs> to pipe that in, and then they're throwing that in the IFB. No, that that all—that's true. That, that all does, came from my we wrote mind. Up rate. the ratings yesterday. Well, you know that's the thing. Being in Dr. Ken, like I'm well too aware of these numbers as the producer. So um, that's the thing. I, I ain't need no publicist telling me these numbers because like I knew them like the back of my hand. Because you know it's, it's such a numbers game television, and these numbers just blew me, I've, you know, I, I, I've never seen numbers like that on other shows, much less a show I've been a part of. I was on Community, for for God's sakes, for, for five years that, you know, if you got, if we were high fractionals, you know, we'd be going on a bender, you know? <laughs> so it's, uh, so to get a number that's actually fully formed integers, not used to, <laughs> Yeah, uh, numbers that are greater than a 1.0. I'm simply not used to in today's current television climate. And um, yeah, it's an insane show with an irresistible format. The format works. And it, like, it's, and, 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 um, my, I'm, I'm of Korean descent. It's my mother's favorite show. My mother's Korean. And it's King of, it's called King of Mass Singer. It's the number one show in Korea. Has been for the past three years. Ryan Reynolds appeared on it at one yes, point. Yes, right? Ryan Reynolds appeared on yeah. it. And so when um, when they asked me to be a panelist, be a part of the show, you know, I was skeptical because, well, I've never done this kind of thing before ever, and I really don't have any—I don't know—musical um, talent or ability. I, I, I just don't, you know. And um, and I asked my mom. I was like, "Should I do this show?" And um, my mom was like, "She was so." Definitive in her answer, she was: "You would be foolish not to do this show. It, this would, this will be a, this will be, it, this will be the biggest thing. It's the biggest show in Korea." And she showed me YouTube links, I watched all of them, and and I was hooked. And I also um, watched the show in Thailand too, mm-hmm. which is also amazing. And then there's so much human interest in it. There's it's like five game shows going rolled into 1 and and then i really i found myself like uh, like i remember the 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 scene scene i could not stop watching it because i wanted to know who the end like who was eliminated and why did they choose to do this you know and then that and and the answers were were emotional you know i'm talking about the korean and the thailand shows and they they really and i'm like oh and it's relatable and it's like, you know, it it really is is moving, and so I was hooked, and and I'm not disappointed at all. There there's so many surprises in store on this show. Um, you know, that first show was almost like a test show. We really didn't know. I, for one, did not know what I was doing. I I still don't. Um, I feel like um, I feel like that's my. We actually did a promo. I don't know if it aired yet for Fox where. They, they, they go on every panelist, you know, they go to Rob and Jenny and then Nicole and it comes to me and it's scripted. I go, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> that's like that's actually a scripted promo network because and, 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 and the producers, to their everlasting credit, they're like, run with it. Whatever stupidity you're bringing, you know, and like just run with it. I was like, OK. And then. So there are times I don't know. if, if I'm sure that a lot of the a lot of this will be cut in in the in, first in, and deservedly so. But there are a lot of stuff I would I would just bring out the most batshit answers. I literally would be in the straight face. I knew who I know who this is, Senator Mitch McConnell. Welcome to the Mass Singer.
2: <laughs> you know I do it with a straight face. Even the audience is just like what?
1: And I just wouldn't buy. So, so I was like I would just throw out whatever name that just and it was fun and it's like you know and now so there there is I was doing it to make like uh like the I was just doing it in my head I'm just doing it to make you know some of my friends at home laugh you know any you know that know kind of the the weirdness of stuff like this you know who enjoy just to watch it for the weirdness of it so I, I really I like embraced it and uh and it really is just a wonderful show to work on we're all like it, I mean, I'm literally texting with these guys every day, and and uh, it's just it's. I'm happy for I'm happy for the producers who, um, Craig Plestis and Izzy Picabara, like they really and Rob Way, those those executives really believed in this, and they knew from day one. They knew from jump, and I was like, okay, you know, but they believed it from 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 jump, and I'm 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 really I'm happier for them than I am for for the rest of us because. You know, I, I, I applaud people who really stick their neck out when – it's easy to be bandwagon now, but, you know, people are like, what is going on, you know? So it's – and it's – everyone I talk to is just asking me – people – I'm going to parties, and, um, you know, even at the Glows, people are like, is it – it's so-and-so-and-so-and-so. I'm like, dude, I can't tell you. You call me as good what I just say, dude, you know? <laughs> It's you, okay? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, listen, Ken, thank you very much for thank doing you.
0: this. Jesus and Marrow premieres February 21st on Showtime. Daniel Daddario and Caroline Framke discussed the new series, as well as the upcoming Academy Awards telecast, February
3: 24th. Hi there, I'm Daniel Daddario, and i want to of- Varieties to television critics. And this week, uh, my colleague Caroline Framke and I are going to be discussing two uh, upcoming programs in the variety TV space. Ooh. Yeah, something a little different. The first of which is a show that, Caroline, you spent some time uh, reporting on for a feature. It hasn't launched yet. It's Showtime's Desis and Marrow. Yes. Uh, based on a... The format, I guess, that these two hosts, Jesus Nice and the Kid Mero, had pioneered at Viceland. Tell me a little bit about what you learned about this show and set up for our listeners who might not be familiar who they are.
2: Right. Jesus uh, and Mero are two personalities who uh, started on Twitter and then they linked up, became sort of talking heads for Complex. They got their own podcast, which, if you know the podcast, you're a big fan of the podcast, um, The Bodega Boys. And then they got their own nightly late-night show on Viceland, and now they are at Showtime, where they will be launching a weekly late-night show. Uh, One thing I learned talking to them is that they are looking at this less as a late-night show, as it's been done before, and more just the show that comes on at late-night that happens to star them as the host's that loosely has to do with other shows like they're not coming out in suits that's not their vibe they're not they're sitting behind a desk kind of but it's very loose it's very casual they are very um they play off each other really well they're gonna have a monologue sort of this is their first time having writers which is a pretty big difference from the viceland show which was mostly just them ad-libbing they have a new head writer from colbert they have someone from last week tonight they've also taken some twitter people and it's going to be a really cool room. Um, they're doing some sketches, which is new for them as well, um, based on characters from their podcast. But it is definitely um, a more mellow vibe than a lot of late-night shows, probably. Um, I loved – there was one quote Jesus gave me where he said that their show should basically feel like when you're like late at night, when you're drunk with your friends on the train, and you're just kind of rehashing what happened that day and laughing about it. So it's not exactly like last week tonight, which – Um, I think is a good thing. Um, There are a lot of late night shows out there that do similar things, talk about similar things, and for a lot of reasons, that's not going to be what this show is.
3: Well, it's interesting to me because I feel as though there hasn't been a successful premium cable or streaming late night show since Last Week Tonight. Mm. And I think one commonality that I would guess this has with Last Week Tonight is that its core audience of younger fans will not be watching necessarily live, but will come to it later in the week, You know, watch the segments online, watch them and stream them. And so I think it's kind of cool that it is weekly, that it's not going to build up on people, that they can feel like they have the complete experience of watching the show once a week, kind of at their own pace.
2: Yeah, and Showtime is definitely counting on that. This is also Showtime's first venture into the late night space, so they um, were really hoping that their fan base, their existing fan base, will come over to Showtime, that they will also multiply being on Showtime, and that this will be sort of a space where Jesus and Mirror can kind of build out their brand.
3: I'm not going to pretend that I love every piece of programming they've put out, by the way, but it's worth noting that Showtime lately has really been ramping up. Mm-hmm. Like I first noticed it around the time, the Sasha Baron Cohen show, Who is America? At that point, they had already aired the Twin Peaks revival. They will probably win a bunch of Emmys for Escape at Dannemora, so good for Showtime. Doing new stuff in the premium cable space. Doing new stuff. Uh, Speaking of doing new stuff, actually, (laughs) uh, (laughs) that maybe is a little less successful, we'll we'll have to wait and see, is um, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, whose annual telecast is coming up. And there are going to be a lot of changes. We think, we're not sure, because... Many of the changes they have announced, they have gone on to retract.
2: Yeah, the Oscars this year are in a weird spot because it just feels like um, what's basically happening right now is there's a weird conflict between what the Academy larger body wants, what ABC wants from it being a TV show, what the Academy leadership wants. And what's happening is that every week, it seems, there's a new breaking mistake or stumble or some sort of avoidable situation. <laughs>
3: yeah. And some of these controversies over the past few weeks have been such small picky things that really do matter to basically only the, uh, the Academy Awards as core fans. The people you kind of don't really want to alienate. Like for instance, the news that last year's acting winners had not, had not been invited back to present awards. Ultimately, Very few people watch the Oscars because Tom Cruise is presenting best actor instead of uh, Francis McDormand. But the people who really care got really upset and annoyed as they have been basically once or twice a week since last summer at this award show that doesn't seem to know what it wants to be.
2: Yeah, and that's... And at this point, we're not even talking about the whole Kevin Hart mess, which was and kind of remains a mess. At this point, we're talking about how ABC is trying to make the Oscars fit into a sort of neater three-hour block. They're also trying to launch um, the premiere of um their new dramedy Whiskey Cavalier afterwards. Like it's the Super Bowl. I don't know who's gonna stick around to watch a drama from eleven thirty to twelve thirty. Yeah, in the especially <laughs> given
3: that the Super Bowl leadout has not actually been a very effective launching pad the past few years. I think people sure, so people just like at a certain point when you have the option of going on the internet after something is over, you're not gonna keep the television on when you've been entertained for three hours. But but they want to cut it down and I think you were saying offline that to you, the idea of making some change mm-hmm. isn't completely illogical to you.
2: No, I mean, I think it makes sense. Like, look, at this point, ABC's not wrong that ratings have gone way down for the Oscars, but that's kind of how it's gone for every live event except for probably the Super Bowl. I mean, still not as many people watch the Super Bowl as did. The Super Bowl did. was
3: down this year, actually, right. yeah.
2: Um. So everything's kind of down across the board, and they want to change that. I understand that, and I understand wanting to maybe mix up what the— format of the oscars have been um to maybe try and fix that but the ways that they're going about it don't seem to really be that well thought out um we just found out that the that there will be four categories announced off air um editing cinematography makeup and hair right
3: yes uh editing cinematography makeup and hair is one category and then live action short film
2: that's right And obviously this has a lot of people in the Academy pretty upset. Um, It does seem like this is sort of ABC trying to pivot the Oscars to be a little bit more like the Grammys, which do hand out a lot of their technical awards off air or before the broadcast, before the show is basically a show. It's not a ceremony. It's a show. But the Oscars are never going to be the Grammys. They never could be the Grammys, even if you have Lady Gaga and Kendrick there. It's just never going to be quite that. So I think that they're being a little short-sighted in how they're trying to make this event television again.
3: Yeah, there are—I will say there are certain categories I'd be willing to let go of. Not cinematography and editing, which to me (laughs) are kind of— As many people have pointed out, including members of the Academy who are protesting publicly, those are kind of at the heart of cinema. Uh, I've never really understood why— animated and live-action shorts that very, very few people even have the capacity to see are awarded, but that's neither here nor there. I, I do think <laughs> <Shots> that... <fired. laughs> I do think, though, that people go to the Grammys because they want to see a music industry trade show of performances, yes. and they go to the Oscars because they want to see pure, uncut acceptance speeches. And some of those are by people we know, like we anticipate Glenn Close and Rami Malek, for instance, uh, and celebrities with whom we already have an affinity. And some of them are this film editor whom you've never heard of, and you probably won't think of again, but his or her extremely moving, uh, you know, moment of being recognized for the per, perhaps the first time in his or her career is, is a really human moment and kind of transcends all of the glamour and the glitz. And I think losing that or not even really getting why that matters to people is a real misstep to me.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think there are other ways to shorten this. I mean, take out one of the 10 montages about the magic of movies. Don't present every best picture nominee with mm-hmm. a whole big package. Um, I don't know. I mean, not having a host helps. Like, not there's... having a
3: host actually is kind of a good idea Fine. It, Like to try out. <laughs> That's a cool experiment, even though it wasn't their goal. Like, but that already subtracts like 12 minutes out of the show.
2: Yeah. And I also think, look, as long as people are tuning into the Oscars, I don't know what an extra 18 minutes is really going to do. Just make the show itself more interesting. It doesn't matter how long it is.
3: The the ultimate irony is that if history is guide, this show will go up in the ratings as would have a completely unchanged show because there are a lot of people out there in America who've seen Black Panther, A Star is Born, and Bohemian Rhapsody. And the two like canonically big audience Oscars in recent memory were the Oscars where... Uh, Gravity was nominated, mm. and when Titanic was nominated and won. Those were the ones where the ratings were super-duper high. And so I feel like this could follow suit, and then maybe the Academy leadership will look around and say, oh, we did this, even though it's actually that a lot of Rami Malek stands are out there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm. It, it feels a little bit like stealing for a car crash, but we'll see how it goes.
3: All right, well... That's one thing to look forward to and Whiskey Cavalier afterwards because there's always more TV where that came from.
0: The TCA Winter Press Tour, a series of press conferences in which networks tout new and returning shows, ended February 13th in Pasadena. Joe Otterson talked about what looked good and what did not look good. Joe Otterson, thanks for doing this.
4: Dan Holloway, thank you for having me.
0: Joe, um we're uh we're drinking uh, celebratory beers right now. Yep. Cheers, buddy. What uh, Glad to what be here. could you uh could you describe for our, our many many listeners uh, why we're celebrating with these beers?
4: Uh because we have just finished a grueling two over two weeks at the TCA Winter Press Tour, um just an absolute slog. You know, I mean, I, I have probably some form of you know psychological damage after mm-hmm. two weeks of this. You know, yeah. I, I I will never recover. Quite honestly, I'm 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 done.
0: Comparable to doing work in say a coal mine or <laughs> or or, or a U- European field of war in the early 20th century, right? Yeah, I mean, you know more about that. You know the yeah the whole World War One. It's it's comparable to World War One. Yeah, these are yeah. these are high class problems we've mm-hmm. been experiencing. Um, yeah, we're so we're so we're so hard up. Um, what? <laughs> So what is – it's been 16 days, and we we have seen a lot of TV represented on the stage in Pasadena. What have been, to your mind, some of the highlights? Um, It's hard to remember everything, but, I mean, in terms of the past week, I think Hulu was
4: definitely one of the highlights of the past few days. Um, They brought a lot of star power to their panels, and their panels were also very energetic, very fun – um, they brought Catch 22, uh, the adaptation of the series adaptation of Catch 22. They're doing with George Clooney uh, and Grant Heslov producing, and George Clooney is also starring in the show. Um, and uh, Kyle Chandler was there, Chris Abbott was there. Um, that was really great. They brought Dr. Ruth uh, for Ask Dr. Ruth, which was really really fun. Dr. Ruth Westheimer is just, I mean, at 90 and a half years old, she was very specific to point out she's 90 and a half years and old. A half. During her panel, um, she is just an absolute, you know, spitfire and just really, really fun still to this day. There's and a then, doc
0: that got uh, really well received at Sundance if you talk to our film colleagues. Yeah. and I she, try not to read their work, but sometimes I talk <laughs> to them. <laughs> Um, That was really fun. They also
4: brought uh, The Act, which is based on a true story of, I believe, the murder of, I believe the woman's name is uh, Dee Dee Blanchard, mm-hmm. is the woman's name, with Patricia Arquette. Yep. And Patricia Arquette has obviously received a lot of praise for uh, her work recently, Escape of Dannemora. She won the Oscar um, a little while back for, um, I believe it was
0: Boyhood, correct?
4: Yep. Yep. She won the Oscar for that. She was really great. Um, That was definitely one of the highlights of the past few days. Um. And then uh, HBO was here as well. They brought um, Veet back for the final season. It was uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and David Mandel. Mandel. Yeah. Yeah. So how was was that? That was really great. Uh, Julie Louis – it was funny. There there were some awkward moments because Julie Louis Dreyfus was here via satellite. I believe she's uh, um, doing a movie right now in Austria, if I recall. She's in the Alps somewhere in Correct. Europe. Yep. So she was here via satellite. But she was – I mean, she's just so incredibly funny. And her and David Mandel, even via satellite where there was a brief delay with everything, she was just so incredibly funny. That's and good satellite chemistry. Yeah, exactly. You don't say that often. Chemistry by satellite is very rare. Chemistry but
0: with a three-second delay.
4: Very powerful. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, and just, you know, here, obviously that show has been so incredibly well received and uh, throughout its run but I mean just to hear them talk about the end of it and just obviously Julie Louis Dreyfus um, having uh, overcome cancer in in the recent past and you know David Mandel made some great jokes about that even which was great to see I didn't expect that at all
0: there was a there was a great moment when uh, Man- Mandel made a joke about giving Julie Louis Dreyfus cancer <laughs> and because of the satellite delay there was like an excruciating three seconds that went by <laughs> where you didn't know <laughs> yeah. how she was she going to respond cool? to the joke yeah. and, and then, then she just sh- then she broke up laughing She lost it. Yeah, yeah, she
4: lost it and that made it, yeah, it was so 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 funny. And then of course obviously um Big Little Lies was back for season 2 at their panel this year and uh with um the whole cast, the most of the main cast from season 1 and then Meryl Streep obviously, which I mean you just you can't go wrong with Meryl Streep. I mean, there's just there's nothing really critical you can say about Meryl Streep. You know, I don't, think, I don't think anyone would argue that. I mean, just, you know, she's an icon. She's a legend. Any, you know, um, qualify you up when Meryl Streep is beyond reproach at this point. And just, you know, here, having her there, I mean, you see, I mean, like, everyone in the room was fangirling out for Meryl Streep.
0: That's not how you talk about Meryl Streep when the microphones are off, Joe. <laughs> that's, uh, no, I know. I talk a lot she's... of smack about Meryl Streep
4: in my free time. No, that's not true. I love Meryl Streep. I'm a big fan of Meryl Streep. She's a
0: national things. treasure, yeah. for, and for good reason. Um uh, what were, you know, we're talking about some of the prestige programmers, obviously. Mm-hmm. When you go into the sort of more, the basic cable world mm-hmm. where, you know, we're seeing a high volume of pro, of programming and, um, you know, maybe some varying degrees of quality mm-hmm. that were, that you don't get when you talk about the HBOs, mm-hmm. um, the what, prestige. what were some of the highlights there?
4: Uh, BET was here uh, as part of the Turner session uh, this tour, and they brought uh, Boomerang. The um, it's a reboot or a kind of an adaptation of the film sequel, actually. Yeah, sequels. Yeah, it's a. It's true. It's a sequel to the uh, to the film of the same name. Um, and Lena Waith was here as she's an executive producer on that project, along with Halle Berry, who I'm correct me wrong. She was a, she was one of the stars of the original film. How old are you? <laughs> you don't remember the original. The movie film? came out in what, ninety two? Yeah. I was two years old in ninety two. So yeah, not quite Jeez, uh not quite please. the demo. Okay. But uh, she was there on the cast there and they just um they they talked very eloquently about um how, you know, how much the the film impacted the black community at the time and how and how their um uh, modernizing it and kind of yep. making it more a story of you know the mo- the modern black community and that was great and just I mean Lena Waithe can you know talk you know at at, at length about you know the importance of representing of representation and having these stories on on screen and it's just, it's it's never boring Lena Waithe is an is an incredible presence it's um, really weird and to see I mean, modern not,
0: day. not weird but uh, amazing to see I mean you get it every once in a while Lena Waithe you definitely have that sense when you're around mm-hmm. her like this is someone who is experiencing, like, the top of the game for someone making television right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you can't say enough positive things about
4: Lena Waithe and just what she's done in the past few years and just in terms of, like, yeah, it's incredible. Um, so that was a definite highlight of, of this tour. And also, um, DC Universe uh, was here this year. The DC streaming service was here with uh, their show Doom Patrol. Which stars um, Brendan Fraser, Timothy Dalton, um, and of course other people. You know, I'm sorry, Matt I, I'm Bomer. Forgetting. Matt Bomer, yeah, and just um, Alan Tudyk, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of other people. Excuse me, I'm, I'm forgetting names. Um, again, we've had you know several celebratory drinks this. I've had one. Yeah, <laughs> you, you've had I've, seventeen. I've had a few. Yeah, and then no, but that was honestly that was a really fun panel. Um, it was really good, and the show looks really the good. Show and looks then, good. Also, um, I give a, give a lot of credit to Brendan Fraser for just. I mean, he you know he was going through a bit of a rough patch there, and he's in the past couple of years he's really seemed to bounce back, and he was really just having fun at that panel. Like, he was just engaged the entire time. He looks good, and it just he seems like he's um, really enjoying his time on the show and kind of enjoying this uh, this renaissance he's had in the past uh, couple years. So all, all the all credit to him for that. Um, and then... Uh, other highlights i mean definitely like killing Eve, uh, uh the amc sessions, uh killing eve was a definite i mean because i mean just you can't again say enough about like the the po- the praise for that show that it got in season 1 and so everyone is just like is dying to see season
0: two of that yeah, show. There's a lot of anticipation there. Yeah. There was a, uh, comedy central sketch series that, uh, you were pretty excited about. Yeah. Arturo Castro, uh, was here
4: promoting, uh, his new comedy central series. And it, it was, it was interesting because, um, that came at the very, at the very end, like literally the last panel of probably I think it was literally the longest day of the tour, and
0: it was like day fourteen or day fifteen.
4: Exactly right? at the very end of the tour, it was the longest day, and he came in, and it was just him. It wasn't, and you know there were no other. Excuse me, there were no other um, you know producers there or any other you know cast members on the show there. It was just him. Out on the stage by himself, and I mean, he he killed it. I mean, he just had this this great energy, this this positivity about him, and he really he really brought it, and it made me wanna you know see the show and see what he's doing, and it was really really cool to see. And
0: because, this is the yeah. type of show that Comedy Central, even as. Um, you know, Netflix and other platforms have sort of begun to encroach on the thing that they've had ownership of for a really long time. Absolutely. Um, this sort of sketch, uh, sketch show built around a personality or a couple of personalities mm-hmm. they've had consistent success with that over time. They, they had uh, Inside Amy Schumer and Key Peel. Peele. Chappelle show. Chappelle's show. Chappelle's like, show, like if you yeah. go that far back. Uh, the Kroll <laughs> show. Yep. Um, you know, th- this is kind of Firmly in their wheelhouse, and so this feels like this could be the next one of those, potentially.
4: Yeah, this seems like he's going to be the next, like, big breakout star of Comedy Central, and, and, you know, more power to him, because, like, again, the guy, like, I mean, to come into that room where it was just so dead, and to just really be able to to bring that... bring bring the humor and bring the energy that he did at that time i mean it was really really impressive
0: the poor guy because the, the fact that we are predicting good things for him probably guarantees that his show will be canceled <laughs> before we even get out of the first season yeah probably um were there any low lights?
4: Uh, I mean, a definite low light for me. Um, so Hulu also paneled a show called shrill with 80 Bryant. It does look really good. And then, um, it's based, I believe the book of the same name. Yep. Correct. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the show looked really good. And I mean, I love 80 Bryant. She's done some incredible work on SNL in the past few years. And, um, but yeah, there was an Elizabeth banks as an executive producer on the show. And, unfortunately, some... So, the show is about... AD um, Bryant plays one... And they're very specific about using the term, like, fat on the show. Like, it's about a fat right. woman kind of just owning herself and owning this, her body. This is
0: the word that they use yeah. within the context of the show.
4: Yeah, and just um, just her just kind of, like, you know, living her life in, to the fullest extent possible. And um, Elizabeth Banks is an executive producer on the show. Um, and Elizabeth Banks has been doing some really interesting stuff on the producing side of things and television for the past few years. Mm-hmm. And, um, unfortunately, someone... Uh, asked elizabeth banks you know who is a very you know kind of fit uh woman uh asked her you know it's like, oh, the, i'm gonna paraphrase it a little bit but basically the question was you're just you're you're so beautiful and so attractive why would you do a show about a fat woman and it was just kind of, i mean everyone in the room was gonna kind of hang their heads a little bit like why would you ask yeah uh, that question that was unfortunate
0: there's always with tca there is always this uh, at least one what the fuck moment that is generated sadly, not by the people on stage, but by, uh, by the other folks there.
4: Yeah, that that was unfortunate, Um, and but yeah, but I mean, otherwise, yeah, the show looks really good, and then again, Aidy Bryant is is incredible, she's a great comedic talent, and I mean, again, it's just one of those things, like, you don't see these types of shows, you know, about a woman just kind of, you know, who is overweight, but just who really owns it, and just, you know, you know what, like, yeah, I'm overweight, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take charge of that, and I'm gonna live my life, and I'm gonna have a good time, and I'm just gonna, you know, like, to hell with you if you don't like it. You don't see that a lot, and that's really, really cool to see. So I'm really excited to see how that show is received uh, by the general public.
0: It's, it's, it's rare to see something coming to TV where you're like, I haven't seen that before. Exactly. Um, exactly. It's something very unique. Joe, thank you very much, and looking forward to summer TCA. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Charlie Pride, subject of the new PBS American Masters documentary, I'm Just Me.